You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Susanna Rankenberg has supported independent tech news directly for five years. Be like Susanna. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, March 8th, 2019 in Austin, Texas. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. Springing forward from Cleveland, I'm Len Peralta. And right out of uh, the forehead of Tom, like Athena, I'm Brian Brushwood. <laughs> and uh, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Yes, you are. Uh, we have got a packed show. In fact, Justin Robert Young's probably going to drop by a little later uh, because we've got a political statement on breaking up big tech from Senator Elizabeth Warren to get to. Um, but let's start with a few tech things you should know. Airbnb announced it has signed a deal to acquire Hotel Tonight, which curates bookings for boutique and independent hotels. The companies will operate as separate brands, but over time, Airbnb plans to integrate Hotel Tonight listings into the Airbnb platform. Google advises Windows users to make sure they have the latest updates for both Windows 10 and the Chrome browser in order to protect themselves against a serious unpatched vulnerability that is being exploited in the wild. That's worth repeating. A lot of times we say, well, it's a vulnerability, you should patch it, but nobody's exploiting it. This one is being exploited. Google patched Chrome against it, uh, itself like last Friday, but you'll need to restart the browser to apply that patch if you haven't restarted your browser since Friday. Windows may still be vulnerable to this bug, though the vulnerability has only been observed being used against Windows 7 32-bit systems. So make sure you've got Windows 10 and you're patched and your Chrome is patched and you should be fine. Is, is that an intentional withholding of the details so as not to give anybody ideas, like whether it's a financial exploit or an encryption? No, there's exploit? more details. I just didn't write them because this is a quick part of the Nailed show. It. Got okay. it. Good thing I slowed <laughs> it down so we can know that. Thank you. Microsoft began rolling out updates to the Skype web client, so users running Chrome or Edge browsers on Windows 10 or Mac OS 10.12 Sierra or later will be able to get uh, HD calling and call recording and view a revamped notification panel and access an advanced media gallery. By the way, the vulnerability allows you allows the attacker to break out of sandboxes. So if it's sandboxes, a process Got it. that you would normally like, well, that's safe. It's in the sandbox. They could break it out 
and then get into your system. All right, let's talk a little bit more about analyst Ming-Chi Kuo. You know him as the guy who is mostly right about Apple stuff. And in his latest analyst note, he says Apple will begin mass producing a new augmented reality glasses product as early as the end of this year. The product would be marketed as an iPhone accessory. So it would really just be a display and offload the computing and the networking wirelessly to your iPhone. Previous reporting from Bloomberg had said that Apple's AR device would run a custom operating system based on iOS called ROS for reality operating system. So that may be the thing that runs the display. Hmm. Well, it's not really augmented reality, but so often my my iPhone is in a purse or my back pocket or whatever. And I don't know, let's say I'm listening to a song and I really like it. And maybe it's, it, maybe it's some Apple music playlist. I got to get my phone out and look at it and be like, Oh, okay. That's who it is. It's T-Pain or something. Like I could see where having something that was just in my per- peripheral vision that I could like, I could tap the way you would with an Apple watch, uh, but it would be on your face would be something that I would want. Yeah, I I would love I, – I think it's inevitable that we're going to get this more low-level peripheral awareness of what's happening on other side of, of the world without lifting a finger. Right now we have it like um, you know your, your, your watch buzzes and you could take a glance and be like, oh, we made a sale on the online store or whatever. But it's like I could see that fidelity increasing where it's like, oh, no, no, no. All of your individual apps now have a touch tone where it's like one is a high whine and a low rumble. So, so you know which app is, is grabbing your attention and could choose to ignore it. Likewise, with the AR stuff, just this always on. I think that the smart move is to increasingly preserve the one-on-one uh, experience uh, and be as to convey as much knowledge as possible without causing, as we have right now with the Apple Watch, you get a buzz, you put up your fist in between you and the person you're talking to, you look at it, and then you resume. I think they're trying to get away from that, and I think it's a smart move. Yeah, it's another wearable platform for them, right? Like, this is this will be a very good-looking pair of augmented reality glasses, I would guess, because it's coming from Apple, and that'll be their selling point. Like, don't wear the ones that look goofy. Wear ours, because we didn't have to try to pack a whole computer in them. We right. know you have an iPhone, and it will unobtrusively do what you and Sarah are saying, like let you know the things that you need to know as you go through your day. DoorDash changed its payment policy back in 2017 in a way that appears to keep back tips from drivers. DoorDash used to pay drivers a flat fee, no matter what the distance or complexity was in that ride. Under the new policy, DoorDash guarantees an amount for the driver based on the distance and complexity. However, a customer tip may not raise that amount since DoorDash can decide to include all or part of the tip in the guaranteed amount it pays the driver. So the company says it never reduces the amount a driver would get because of a tip. (laughs) Well, that's comforting. Uh, Only raises it. However, some drivers filed a class action lawsuit claiming that the company is redirecting tips into the company's share. So if I could try to understand this, I think what they're saying is we used to pay every driver $5, whether they were going 20 miles or two miles. And then whatever the tip was, the tip was two bucks. They kept two bucks. Now what we're saying is, oh, if you're going 20 miles, we'll pay you $10 guaranteed. It won't be less than that. And if someone tips a dollar, DoorDash may go, well, before you would have only made $5. So we're going to count that dollar as part of the 10. And that's what the drivers are objecting to. They're like, no, 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 no. We like 
that you're guaranteeing us more money for longer trips. We don't like you counting the tip as part of that extra money. Yeah, the uh, I, you know shared tip jars are not an unusual scheme, right? And and tipping is is really for me problematic because uh, as a hardcore anarcho-capitalist, like I love more freedom and, and the entrepreneurial sp spirit of everybody trying to get a big tip. But on the flip side, I have to acknowledge that by the numbers, tipping is inherently racist, sexist, uh, uh, you know, all the, all the bad things. Um, having a scheme, I think, is a fine thing. What are the odds that the scheme is actually benefiting everybody more, but just it doesn't feel like it because, well, I got a $3 tip and only got 80 cents. Yeah, I, I think it is benefiting everybody more. I believe, DoorDash, that, hey, we're, we're paying drivers more now than we, we did before, or at least it's fairer because you get more if you go farther. Uh, but I think DoorDash is trying to hedge the cost of treating people better by saying, and, you know, the tips will, you'll still get more. The tips will just kind of help subsidize that cost. Could maybe they couldn't offer a, a, a better system if they didn't include the tips, but it's just not something people like. They're like, look, if I got a tip, I should get the tip. Right. Well, it's such a tipping is so personal, right? If as a customer, if I'm tipping, if I tip an Uber driver, for example, it's like, you know, they were really nice. We had a good conversation. You know, you know, give them a $5 tip, that sort of thing. Or at a restaurant or, you know, anywhere that you tip. So as a customer, it's like, it's a little disconcerting to say, oh, well, the company could choose to give the, uh, that wonderful uh, person who brought me my food 0% of the tip that I gave. It is one of those weird things where you can know for a fact and even believe for a fact that this policy serves the greater good and still not like it. You're yeah, like, yeah. But I wanted to give it to that guy. Yeah. And and I think the other thing to keep in mind is DoorDash probably ha incurs a cost of passing along a tip. Uh, so there there could be an argument for them taking a small percentage of a tip. I don't think anybody would like that right. either. So, all right. Uh, Bloomberg reports that Amazon has stopped regular orders of products from thousands of wholesalers, sometimes with no notice or explanation. Instead, Amazon is encouraging wholesalers to list those items directly on the Amazon marketplace themselves. That has the advantage for Amazon of shifting the cost of storing and shipping products to those vendors while letting Amazon continue to take a commission on the sales. In an emailed statement to Bloomberg, Amazon said, we regularly review our selling partner relationships and may make changes when we see an opportunity to provide customers with improved selection value and convenience. So I don't think the controversy here is that Amazon decided to stop ordering shirts from somebody. That wouldn't be controversy at all. It's that this company was this imaginary company that I'm making up was expecting an order of 500 shirts a week. And therefore they'd set up their supply chain to make sure they had 500 shirts a week. And then one day Amazon just didn't order those 500 shirts without giving them any warning. And now they're like, well, crap, I guess we can try to sell them directly, but we might not sell all 500 and we weren't set up for that. Uh, so it incurs a cost on us, et cetera, et cetera. And Amazon can basically say, well, too bad. You know, you you can not sell them on Amazon if you want to. Good luck with that. Well, the, to me, the big moment is uh, Amazon is encouraging wholesalers to list the items on Amazon's marketplace. For example, um, uh, I wrote the Professional's Guide to Fire Eating. And for whatever reason, they don't want to keep 100 of them in stock. I guess space is at a premium. So what they do is every time one sells, they're like, send us one copy of the book. And then they pass it along. This sounds to me like they're just moving to, you know what? Just let your book stay in our store and... Eventually, an order will come in. Don't even bother to send it to us. Just fulfill it yourself. Uh, well, and, and that way, we, we don't have to hold anything. Also, and that way, we also don't have to pay you for all of those 500 shirts and store them. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Well, yeah. and, you know, as Amazon continues to roll out Amazon-branded merchandise, 
back to that fictitious t-shirt company. Well, if Amazon has its own t-shirt line, it doesn't need to buy any of these t-shirts from the fictitious company. And it doesn't really care if that company sells its t-shirts or not going forward. And Amazon is also doing the opposite of this with some of their partners saying, oh, no, you can't sell directly uh, we'll block you from that. We we because it's in this case better for us to be the person who sells it, and so we're going to force you on it. Uh, Amazon is dictating terms all over the place as long as it benefits Amazon. The city of Philadelphia has passed a law requiring almost all businesses to accept cash payments. Cash is back, everybody. Exception to the cash rule includes parking lots, online and phone transactions, retailers with a membership model, and companies that require a credit card deposit like a hotel or a rental car company. Businesses who violate the law after it comes into force, which is on July 1st, could face a fine of up to $2,000. Amazon believes that Amazon Go stores would be affected because you don't need to be a prime member to shop there. And a similar New Jersey state bill is waiting on the governor's signature. Massachusetts has required cash acceptance for a while. Yeah, so this is this is essentially uh, the 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 politicians saying I I didn't like that I went across the street to the coffee shop and I could use a credit card, uh, but those thirty percent of my constituents who live below the poverty line couldn't get a cup of coffee because they didn't take cash there. Yeah, and then I understand the impulse to do that, but then you run up into weird, perverse complications. Like I would love to live in a society where somebody says uh, I make the best ramen in the world. All you have to do is. Uh, show up. I don't even want any money at all. What I'm going to do is I run a live stream. Uh, you have to sing a song uh, and freestyle rap uh, of my choosing. <laughs> I make money on advertising on the back end and you get soup. Uh, like I, I I would love to see more <laughs> weird in the world, not less. And this, this feels like a, a, a restriction that would bum me out. Yeah. I wonder if, if you don't take any payment, could you say, well, I mean, we're, we're exempt. Also, also imagine how that looks like at tax time. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, no, where, no where, where you, you place value on somebody's one time viral hit. I, I wonder if this uh, will take off. There's some some similar legislation being considered in other parts of the United States, like New York, Washington, D.C., San Francisco. Uh, it is a temporary thing, though. I do believe personally that over the long term, and I don't know how long, 10, 20 years, whatever, we will develop a system that allows for cashless transactions that is useful by people of any socioeconomic class. So there'll just be a new way of doing it. But right now, we haven't got that system. And so the be- the closest you can get is debit cards or, or temporary cash cards, but those have fees. And so it's, it's a regressive tax in, in a sense, because if you don't have a lot of cash uh, and you have to use these cards, then you end up having even less cash. Uh, than keep, before. keep in mind also, like the folks who need to rely the most on cash would be the disenfranchised. For example, let's say a, an, an abused housewife mm-hmm. finally, you know, uh, gathers up eight thousand dollars and just gets on the road because she's tired of being punched. Uh, I, I understand the the impetus to go for that. Yeah, I do too. And I and, and like I say, I think we'll have a system in in the future that will still allow that to do that without cash. I think we'll have to. Uh, ca- cash is, is difficult. It, it is, it is complicated, but we have to solve that. We have, we have to figure out how to do that, whether it's blockchain, et cetera. Yeah. But it's like, it's like the thing you're really buying by paying with cash is anonymity and a invisible transaction. Yeah, do you think, do you think we're going, well, I'm not saying Bitcoin will be the thing. But, but, I'm not crazy like that, but is, Bitcoin the whole is point an of, example of a technology that can do well, that. I mean, come up with a better but isn't the whole point of blockchain that everybody can see every piece of you it. You can be anonymous the on the blockchain. Everybody okay. sees the transaction, but they don't necessarily know who made the transaction. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, the side benefit is you don't need power to use cash, right? You don't, if you're, if you're in an area that 
is bereft of power at the at the immediate uh, moment, or you're in some sort of natural disaster, earthquake. I mean, it's it's easier yeah, just to have cash on on hand. I, I understand what Tom's saying, and I think they will have a system that might be in lieu of cash. But I think it's to suggest that there won't be a physical kind of system that people could just trade without I'm, just, uh, I'm talking not about the disappearance of cash that's for another show i'm saying these laws that require cash may become untenable at some point because the there are places in scandinavia that that this law just i do work. i i do agree oftentimes this does smell like a law that will only legislate what people have already figured out on their own because uh, the moment you make this then they'll decide some other you know alternate currency is more popular anyway all right uh if we have any quantum physicists in the audience uh please listen to this and write in to help explain uh how good this is but this is an attempt uh for us to to bring some stories to you that aren't just google announcing facebook announcing uh the bbc has a report on a project called Gravity Pioneer that's been going on for a few years, but they've made some some big progress in developing quantum gravity sensors or gravimeters that will be twice as sensitive and 10 times as fast as the current gravimeters. Uh, right now, if you want to measure gravity, you have to put the sensor out. It's kind of bulky. It's kind of expensive. And then you have to go up there and move it. So let's say you're trying to sense if there's magma under a volcano. That could be dangerous because you have to go up there and move it around to get your reading. These quantum gravity sensors work by cooling rubidium atoms with lasers to just above absolute zero. The atoms are then propelled upward in a vacuum and measured as gravity pulls them back down. The gravimeters can be made on silicon wafers that are 10 times cheaper than the current non-quantum gravimeter models. Tiny fluctuations in gravity, like an empty mine shaft that's five meters down, could be detected. Uh, they would be able to detect things like uh, uh, magma chambers uh, filling up below ground without having to go up and move it around. You could just leave it up there on the volcano and be able to tell, hey, the magma chamber is filling up. We better uh, get people out of there because the volcano might be about to explode. It can also be used in military applications for things like detecting submarines. The big advance here, this, has been, this research has been going on for years. The big advance is being able to make them work at these small, uh, much more affordable levels. That's huge. And if, if, as this goes to scale, really what we're doing is we're telling the continued story of knowing exactly what is happening on every inch of our planet, which does two things. Number one, makes me very proud for humanity and civilization. Number two, makes me want to get the hell off to Mars where <laughs> nobody needs to know nothing about what I'm up to. <laughs> well, uh, unless you're living more than a meter below ground. Sure. But, um, but, but keep in mind, like, like uh, this, you know, but... in terms of mining and resources, mm -hmm. like right now, we just have to keep digging until we hope we find something. If Imagine if you already knew where everything is, you might not, you would be able to affect markets just by knowing where all the deposits are, yeah. whether or not you ever need to get around to go get them. Think about this. Uh, somebody put it this way in one of the articles I read. We know more about the surface of Mars than we know about one meter below the surface of Earth. Yeah, that's great. That's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. <laughs> Let's talk about a medium post from U.S. presidential hopeful and Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, she posted a, a solution to big tech. 
she said, here's how we can break up big tech. Uh, she went through her explanation of why she thinks these companies, Facebook, Google, and Amazon particularly, are too big. Uh, they're too dominant in their markets, and we need new legislation that will break them up, and that will allow for more competition, more innovation. Uh, that's her argument. Her solution is to give $25 billion or more companies, companies that bring in more than $25 billion, uh, the following uh, classification, platform utility. In other words, uh, they offer to the public an online marketplace, an exchange, or a platform for connecting third parties uh, you're a platform utility, YouTube platform utility, Google search platform utility, right? Because you're allowing people to buy ads on search. You're allowing people to post videos on YouTube. If you qualify for that, which would be Amazon, which would be Facebook, which would be lots of Google stuff, you would be prohibited from owning both the platform utility and any participants on that platform. So Google search couldn't own the Google ads. Uh, YouTube couldn't actually make content for YouTube. Uh, Amazon wouldn't be able to own the platform for selling things and also sell things itself, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In addition to that, you would have to provide fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory dealing with users, and you would not be allowed to transfer or share data with third parties, which could be difficult when you talk about ad targeting. We'll get into that. If you are between 90 million and 25 billion, you would only have to meet the fair non-discriminatory user treatment standard. The examples that she gives as companies that would need to be broken apart are Google Ad Exchange, Google Search, Amazon Marketplace, Amazon Basics, Whole Foods, Zappos, WhatsApp, Instagram, Waze, Nest, and DoubleClick. Those are all named in her post. She also says we must give people more control over how their personal information is collected, shared, and sold. We should help content creators keep more of their value. I'm very much in favor of that one. Uh, and we should prevent election meddling. So that's the short version of what she's proposing. A lot of her justifications in here I find a little weaker than others. Uh, but we wanted to bring in the host of Politics, 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 and our regular Thursday contributor, Justin Robert Young, to tell us a little bit on the side of why this might be happening in this election season we're starting in the U.S. Uh, thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. So <laughs> uh, there is a moment happening right now in politics, specifically with big tech, and it is kind of bipartisan. Uh, uh, you, you've seen as uh, Zuckerberg got grilled in Congress a few months ago that it was very, very much both parties that had questions about how they uh, handle their censorship, how they make their money and whether or not they are too big. Elizabeth Warren right now finds herself running anywhere between third and fourth, depending on the poll in terms of the early 2020 primary polls. And she is on, uh, in her lane behind Bernie Sanders, not only in terms of popularity and fundraising, but also ideologically, she is less defined than Bernie Sanders' platforms that have proven to be uh, very catchy to that part of the electorate. So what she is now trying to do with this is show that she is the substantive progressive candidate she has ideas and these are the ideas that she is laying out she's made it very clear that she doesn't think that it's rhetoric only she needs to let everybody know what she would do now we have long prophesied on the daily tech news show that washington was going to come for silicon valley at some point this is its introduction into the presidential campaign cycle how it will play is more of an open question 
Yeah, because I'm tempted to to go in and dig in and say, look, Microsoft's not your best example when it's still one of the biggest companies. And you talk about Microsoft's antitrust settlement as being a good example, but they didn't actually break up Microsoft. And a lot of the effects you're saying came from that are arguably not from that. Uh, There's also the fact that you don't note AT&T and Comcast, which fit the profile of what she's talking about as well. there are other things I could I could pick on in this medium post, but as you're talking about, Justin, I don't think this is meant to be taken word for word as a policy. It's meant to be taken as I really know this topic. Look oh, at all oh, the links that I, I, I think, have. I think she means for you to take it as a policy proposal. Well, let me let me rephrase uh, that. I don't think this is meant to be legislation yet. This is here's what I want to do, folks. Just, Vote just for me. by by definition, she is a senator. She could she, she could put she, a bill she together. Could, she could yeah. put a bill together and push it in the Senate. She's not doing that. She is putting this out as a platform that she would try to work toward should she had the bully pulpit of the presidency. The question is, do people care about this? Uh, just to give you a sense, this is being covered in, in a lot of the places where I like to take the temperature of of uh, the, the political news media. This has not made the front page of Politico.com, has not made the front page of TheHill.com. Uh, it has... Uh, play on axios.com which pretty much makes its bread and butter on tech news and politics news yeah right you would expect that it would get coverage there so i don't quite know if it's getting buried on the friday that she makes her big push about it behind the resignation of bill shine and a election reform bill that was passed in the house i don't know exactly how much this is going to catch on if in 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 the Silicon Valley world, I wonder if 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 companies like Amazon and Google and Facebook are are, are forced to 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 roll back uh, the number of acquisitions that they make of smaller companies, how that changes venture capital for for smaller companies. Do are, it, because many times smaller companies, whether or not they end up getting gobbled up by these companies, hope that they will. The yeah. technology is good, and they need the money to 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 make an idea into a reality. Now, that is something that you believe, Sarah. It is not what Elizabeth Warren believes, who uh, makes it clear that the reason why we are seeing less venture capital is not because of any kind of cyclical market, but rather because these companies are so big that they're discouraging companies from even starting. Now, I say that facetiously because I agree with you. I do think that uh, venture capital uh, almost universally flows into companies that they believe can get uh, swallowed up well, by larger also, fish. Also, in one of the articles that she links to in support of her contention that these big t- companies are reducing startups, I quote from the article, economists from MIT and the University of Chicago cite a lag between the launch of a new technology such as artificial intelligence and its visibility and productivity numbers. In other words, that article is arguing it's not because big tech companies are shouldering everybody out. It's that we're in a new cycle where the new technology that will cause a big wave of startups hasn't quite caught yet, but they believe it will. Yeah. Is this a case where she just ran with the wrong narrative because uh, buried in that statement was, oh, and by the way, election meddling. I mean, wouldn't it have been a if, – if she is obviously not serious about making this legislation, otherwise she would have introduced it in Congress. She's definitely grandstanding on an issue, trying to create a boogeyman pointing to a dead body and said, I'm the one that can fix it. Why not go completely direct and say Silicon Valley big bigwigs are why we ended up with Trump? Here's how I plan to fix it. 
we're going to make them. Uh, uh, they moved too fast. They were unprepared. They're, 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 uh, they were able to be bought by outside interests uh, for national security only. I plan to break them all apart so that that can never happen again. For this reason, that does not benefit her narrative as a candidate. Her narrative as a candidate, Elizabeth Warren, is the capitalist to her bones who knows that she needs to save capitalism from itself. And that part of that, this reinforces that now these big, famous companies that are making untold billions and trillions of dollars and are worth more than countries, if anything is going to get uh, uh, broke up, then it's them. They are Standard Oil. They are AT&T. They are these these, uh, gigantic things that I'm the one who has to say uh, uh, you need to be broken up. If she goes after Trump and Russia, number one, you just enter into a gigantic other kerfuffle of mixed messages and moved goalposts in terms of what that what you eventually want out of that and it doesn't get to the these companies are too big point which is we, what you really they're hurting competition and yes. what makes our economy work is competition so by breaking up these companies we'll have more competition. we will have more that, competition that's what she hammered away and and she makes it clear to say look Everything will be fine. If I were to undo all these mergers and I were to break up all these companies and I were to impose all these rules, you'd still be able to do everything you love on these services. Now, whether or not that would be true it involves you following uh, the rabbit hole down uh, possibilities. Mexico's going to pay it. for that wall. Yeah, Guarantee I, I mean, it. Look, uh, 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 I, we're going more into the granular detail on these things because Tom's right. If you go through every campaign promise and look for every little flaw in it, you're going to uh, find many of them. Congratulations. If you're going to sniff that out, you're going to find a lot of troubles. That being said, this is this is significant in that this is the first time I can remember that a major presidential campaign has thought that tech is kitchen table retail politics enough to make a big deal about it. That your mom, your grandma knows what Amazon, Facebook, and Google are, and they might have negative feelings about them, and they would be moved to the ballot box if you said, we need to break them up. All right. Before we uh, we end this, uh, one thing I want to note, and it's not necessarily just to pick on this medium post, but because I know people are going to start passing this number around. Uh, she says that 70 percent of traffic goes through Google or Facebook links to an article that's from Newsweek, which links to a tweet uh, from a guy who wrote an article, which links to some data. And the data is actually that Google and Facebook in 2015 referred 70% of the traffic to major publishers in the United States. Referral. So they it's posted re- links. It's a referral number, not 70% of the traffic on the internet. Yeah. All right. Which is, I mean, they do. They, they refer a lot of. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I just know people might, even if they disagree with the post, might start passing that number around and, and you should know what that number really means. Uh, thank you, Justin Robert Young for popping in. We appreciate it. A pleasure. I'm always happy to be on the program. TakePoliticsSeriously.com, folks, for more. Thanks also to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on others at DailyTechNewsShow.reddit.com. If you want to hang out on Facebook, we've got a group, Facebook.com slash groups. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model in the market perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. Gosh, Daily Tech News Show. We might break it into two. I don't know. Let's check out the mailbag. Let's do it. We got a long but very informative email from Mark. Uh, Mark is a scientist. He's studying Pluto and the outer solar system. Sounds like a great job. And has a really great breakdown on our University of California and Elsevier story from last week. Mark says there's two common pathways for publication. Elsevier, and I hope I'm saying that right, uh, is an example of the first pathway. Their practice is that an author doesn't have to pay a fee to get their work published. Once the work is published, Elsevier owns that published content and charges for access. Now, Sylvia is the business of in the business of making money from research like Mark's and the balance, the profit against access. So uh, over the past few decades, the cost of access has grown so much that many institutions are cutting back on subscriptions. As subscriptions decline, the costs increase even more. Also, Sevier costs uh, charges a lot more money for the back catalog than for more recent work. Kind of interesting. I used to publish in the Elsevier publication, Icarus, but after a while, I realized that my older work was no longer widely accessible by the community and ceased sending my work there. Now, he goes on to add that the other pathway is what he calls society-based journals. An example is the American Astronomical, Astronomical Society, uh, who published a set of journals in astronomy. In this case, the publisher's not operated for profit. Publishing costs are covered by page charges where the author pays a fee to the journal upon publication. Distribution is covered by subscriptions, but anything older than three years is freely accessible. The recent arguments, according to Mark, are that since scientific research is paid from public funds, the results should always be freely available. Note that the compromise with Elsevier that UC should pay up front make them act much more like the society-based journals than the profit-based journals. One final point is that peer review system is fueled by volunteer efforts. When I review a paper, I do not get paid by any journal to do this work, says Mark. This donation of time makes a lot of sense when talking about an open access nonprofit model, but it feels more like exploitation in the for-profit case. Thank you, Mark, uh, for yeah. the explanation of that. That was, uh, that was very balanced and informative. Appreciate it. Very much so. 
All right, let's check in with Len Peralta, who has been illustrating today's show. Len, what have you drawn for us this week? Sure. You know, that medium post by Elizabeth Warren felt a lot like a smackdown, didn't it? A little bit like a smackdown. (laughs) And that's exactly what I decided to draw here. It's Elizabeth Warren. uh, It's a a (laughs) WW Warren Raw taking down Google, Amazon, and Facebook with a chair. It looks pretty, uh, pretty awesome, man. And I'd go to this, uh, this wrestling uh, event, <laughs> the SmackDown. Um, yeah, it's awesome. And uh, so, if you want this, you can go right now, become one of my five dollars, five dollar patrons, and it's yours. It's right there, right now, actually. And or you can go to my online store at lenperaltastore.com, and you can uh, buy it that way, the old, the old fashioned way. Fantastic! Thank you so much, Len. Oh, and thanks welcome. also to Brian Brushwood. I know you've got a big weekend ahead of you. Let folks know yeah. how they can uh, participate. South by so wasted. Uh, you're running out of time. You can't buy tickets the day of, but you can show up at the door. Uh, March 9th, 1.30 p.m. at the North Door on Brushy Road, uh, named after me, mm-hmm. near uh, uh, 5th and, and 35. Uh, Justin Robert Young live there. Ice Cream Social going to be there. Dual Core. Guy out of Buffalo's uh, own Jomo and the Possum Posse. Uh, we are in the home stretch of a guess what sold out experience. You guys, come on out. It's going to be great. Our goal each month right here on Daily Tech News Show is one more patron than last month. Uh, So please help us get to that goal by becoming a patron and a member of Daily Tech News Show at patreon.com slash DTNS. You can write us feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is our email address. If you want to join us live, it's Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2130 UTC. And you can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. I'll be gone Monday traveling. I'm a more to be here with Sarah Lane. Keep the company. I'll talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.